All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by Mike Griffith, just one of the absolute best out there covering the SEC. And, of course, he covers the Georgia Bulldogs for the AJC's Dog Nation. Mike, it's an honor to have you back on the show. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you. You know, I, I don't know. I've heard you say this, Mike. I got I right off the bat. I got a question for you, and I don't know if it's a joke or what, but I <laughs> and I, I swear I'm not trying to poke fun at the guy, but I have heard you say and not just you. I've heard others say it. Stetson Bennett. Did he graduate from Georgia? I'm, I'm confused about how that's even a question. Yeah, no, not no, Mike. You know, he didn't. I mean, Georgia advertised at the championship game uh, that they thought that he was going to graduate this spring semester. He was listed as the, the people, but I don't know that he that he took the classes this spring. So, hmm. uh, you know, based on what University of Georgia put out on the on the big board there at the championship game, I don't I don't believe so. Hmm. I mean, how is that even possible considering how long he's been there? Uh, I think he was probably too busy playing football. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe he changed his major a few times. I'm, you know, I know yeah, he went yeah. to junior college for a year. Maybe the credits from junior college didn't transfer. I'm not. I'm not real clear on it. Um, just like you, I was a little surprised when I when I heard that. But um, you know, what's remembered is the football part, obviously. And, right. George um, is the top twenty academic institution, but um, it's it's a tough place to graduate from too. Oh, no doubt. I mean, there's a reason I went to Tennessee, Mike. I couldn't get into a school like Georgia. But um, one thing I really... (laughs) I said, now you're laying it on thick. (laughs) One thing I really wanted to ask you about, because I I just thought this was so awesome that you guys do this over at Dog Nation. You got a a Dog Nation cruise. Uh, Now, you you told me you're working here. This is not just a pleasure cruise for you, but uh, what is it like? being with over 100 Bulldogs there after Kirby Smart led that program to back-to-back national championships. I mean, these fans have got to be on cloud nine. Uh, can you give us some insight into what goes on on a Dog Nation cruise? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of barking at the meals, as you might imagine. I don't know if the <laughs> Royal Caribbean director really appreciated that. But she went a, they were allowed to bark once once per uh, dinner. They were allowed once. It couldn't get couldn't get too out of hand, though. But, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's obviously a, a fan base that's kind of enjoying their time on top of the world. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to win back-to-back national championships after, you know, going 41 years uh, without a title and, you know, kind of having to hear that from all the rival schools. They, You know, and the folks that are on the cruise, I mean, they're on there for a good time. And, you know, we had a Q&A session. And, you know, we, uh, you know, rewatched some games and, and you know, have some trivia nights. We, we just had fun. I mean, it's kind of like what you would think it would be. It's kind of like, uh, you know, four or five days of tailgating only on a ship, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Hmm. Well, there's reason to celebrate, Mike. Obviously not just the, the championships, but the NFL draft and over at Dog Nation, you just covered it. Georgia having, uh, you know, the best defense of the modern era. It's It's not even really debatable after this uh this latest nfl draft is it i don't think so you know i i kind of thought that before but you know now when you look at you know seven first round draft picks off that defense i mean statistically it was it was there mike can you believe that georgia is ranked ahead of alabama for the last five straight years um in total defense i mean it just the narrative hasn't really caught up with the reality yet and it takes time you know i understand that and you understand that and for years and years and years, I mean, people just say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Alabama. And, 
you know, now Georgia's kind of come along. I mean, it's kind of like Kentucky basketball. We all, you know, oh, Kentucky, well, Kentucky basketball hadn't really won a title in a long, long time. Um, and yet, you know, the narrative is just, you know, Kentucky. So Georgia's still working on that. Uh, you know, they're, you know, Kirby's looking for a three-peat, which would, I would think that would certainly, um, you know, set him apart and probably even put him on the SEC Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. What's your confidence level that Georgia has the pieces to where the defense can remain of that caliber next season? Well, you just asked two questions in one there. So I think they still have a chance to win another national title, but I don't necessarily think the defense can be the same as last year's because I think Jalen Carter was such a generational player. I, I mean, I look back at the, the Tennessee game. It's probably the best example. And, you know, he had two forced fumbles and I think he had a sack or two and, and two or three pressures. And, you know, between him and the noise, uh, Tennessee had to use three timeouts and had six false starts. I mean, that just, that's unique. That's a combination of a unique player uh, and, a, and a unique setting in that particular game. Obviously, it was deafening 136 decibels uh, that day at Sanford Stadium. Um, obviously, they'd been challenged by um, you know former Tennessee quarterback Eric Ainge, who 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 in all by all rights and in all fairness, Eric did Eric did own Georgia. He he was outstanding. I, I hope people that um, you know know Eric Ainge really got a chance to see him play because he was a fantastic quarterback and. In fact, I think Carson Beck, Georgia's next quarterback, reminds me a lot of Eric Ainge with, um, you know, the arm talent, the mobility, and the stature. But, but anyway, getting getting back to the point, I, I don't think that I, I know there's not. And Kirby said there's they don't have a train wrecker. That's what Kirby calls them. They don't have a train wrecker or a havoc maker. So they're going to have to do some things differently. Um, you know, Nolan Smith has moved on, another first round pick, and Nolan was once the number one overall recruit in the country, and with good reason. Uh, there's a lot of talent there, but it's young. Uh, their schedule is conducive to the team improving as the year goes on, but uh, can they have someone playing at Nolan's level? Can they find someone like Jalen? I don't think so. So I think you're going to drop off at those two positions. Now their linebackers are really good and the secondary is really good, but you and I, Mike have watched enough football to know, um, you know, if you're not dominant on your interior defensive line, uh, you know, things are going to be different. Um, I'm not saying that their defense is going to be bad because I don't think it will could still lead the SEC for all I know. But when you say, is it going to be the same? I don't think so. I just don't think so. Mm. Well, also at Dog Nation, Mike, you wrote about uh, Kenny McIntosh. You got to go behind the scenes during that draft process. Can you share with the listeners, what was that like? I mean, how, how great of a moment was that when he finally got uh, called there by the Seattle Seahawks? Well, it was a great moment. And, you know, every now and then, you know, things happen. You can't explain it. And, you know, Kenny ran a 4.6240, which it's not lightning fast, but no Sean Marino ran a 4.6240 and he was a first round draft pick. And Nick Chubb ran like a 4.52 or 4.53. And, you know, he's the best running back in the NFL. And I, I just did a study and actually, you know, Kenny's home run numbers in terms of long runs, he actually had more than Demir White, who ran a 4.40 and had more carries. So, the 40 is probably overrated by some teams. And I talked with Jim Nagy, the, the former Seahawks and Patriots scout, who's now the executive director of the senior bowl. And he said, yeah, that number is way blown out of proportion, uh, top end speed. It's really about the burst. Uh, certainly in Kenny's case, it's, you know, great burst, great vision, great cutback ability, great receiver. Um, actually Jim told me the senior bowl had Kenny rated higher than Zach Charbonnet, who the Seahawks took in the second round. And, Jim actually made a call to the Seahawks to that effect in the sixth round and said, look, Kenny McIntosh sitting on the board, man, 
this is crazy. He, we, we have him graded higher than the guy you took in the second round. Hmm. And, um, you know, the Seahawks had done their homework and they liked him. And, uh, but as far as inside the house, you know, there was probably over 50, I'd say probably 50 or 60 family members there. They'd rented a villa. Um, Kenny's big brother, RJ, uh, who played at Miami and has been in the NFL the last four years, was there. His older brother, Dion, that played at Notre Dame and Washington State, that's headed to the CFL this summer, was there. And uh, mom and dad and, you know, uncle. And, and yeah, I was right there in the middle of it. And, um, you know, he's a guy that I covered. I, I did an interview with him before he came to Georgia. One of our um, one of our series, one of our ventures was to talk to kids. We called it the Next Generation Series. And so I got to know him and his family on the front end. And, you know, you just kind of stay in touch with folks. And on the back end, they invited me down there. And little did I know what sort of drama would play out um, to the point where, you know, we're, we're standing in the kitchen and the free agency offers are coming. And you've got Dallas and Philadelphia bidding against one another in a free agent deal. And Philadelphia was ready to go up to 200000 and a $20,000 signing bonus. And, and Dallas was at a 150 and contemplating picking them with their next pick in the seventh round or, or whether they were going to go up uh, money-wise. And out of nowhere, uh, Drew Rosenhaus uh, texts in, you know, Seahawks, Seahawks, all caps. And, you know, Kenny, you know, he kept a stiff upper, stiff upper lip, but, you know, it just, the relief just poured out, you know, the tears just poured. And I put a video up of, of him and his family and, a two and a half minute video it's got almost 50 i think it's over forty thousand views for sure um just an emotional household you know and, and the household just tells the story and you know watching this and and seeing before your own eyes someone's dreams come to reality is it was it was a great moment i mean i've covered a lot of really cool things whether it's you know auburn or tennessee's undefeated seasons in the 90s or um, you know, Coach Stallings, I still remember his final game well. I remember, you know, the, the London Olympics were fantastic with, with Phelps and Bolt and being in those stadiums and arenas. Um, but being in the home of a player and knowing what he went through at Georgia, it was, it was special. And I'm, I'm thankful it's one of those times you – and, Mike, you've got a lot of them. You know, you're somewhat of a rock star now in the SEC. But it's one of those times when you're, you appreciate your job. And you appreciate the moments that you have. And um, it really was. It was really special. Well, I'm glad you, you shared that story, Mike. And, and, you know, in all your time in the SEC covering all these great teams and everything, does Georgia right now, the way they're playing under Kirby Smart, are they on a different level in, in your mind, just on, on the teams you've covered? And, um, you know, do you think they could possibly keep us going for – you know, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not asking you to predict if they're going to win the third one in a row here, but could you see them winning, I don't know, two, three more titles under Kirby in the next five to ten years? Well, it's kind of a yes and no, right? And I hate to be on the defense with you, but, you know, covering those programs and, you know, seeing Alabama and um, Tennessee, Michigan State rise to great heights, I can tell you nobody ever sees that nobody sees it coming when the team drops off. Mm. There's, there's never a warning right? You never see it coming. I remember, I remember being in the Caribbean with Mike Hamilton, uh, and Bruce Pearl on one of Tennessee basketball's, uh, kind of holiday tournaments, if you will. They were down in uh, St. Thomas and I can't quite remember the year. I think they played Purdue and they might've lost to Purdue in the championship of this little four team or 18 tournament down in St. Thomas 
you'll have to check the record books. But I remember sitting across from Hamilton and, you know, Pat had some that was still there as well as Philip Fulmer. And, you know, Bruce had really changed the culture um, at Tennessee. And I sat across from Hamilton and I said, you know what? Things are never going to get better for you. He said, well, that's a heck of a thing to say. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm just telling you. You got Philip Fulmer, you got Pat Summit, now you got Bruce Pearl. I said, these these things just, this Mike, I said, these things, these things just don't last. They just don't, you know? And he goes, well, yeah. I said, you know, you, did you, I said, have you ever thought about just, you know, cashing in? And, you know, if, if you're ever going to take another job, I mean, I just can't admit, well, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to keep this thing rolling for years, he said. Well, I don't need to tell you what happened and same thing in michigan state i remember you know we met mark d'antonio and tom Izzo. are they the best football basketball combo in the country michigan state three straight years in the top 10 in football beat ohio state you know for the big 10 title and urban meyer with all that talent and d'antonio and the spartans take him down and Izzo, of course just being Izzo. i mean arguably the best coach in basketball right now and you know certainly a, a celebrated figure and champion for for years in the big 10 and, uh, and, and, you know, th- that was the best. So I, I'm not, I'm not predicting the downfall. I'm not saying that Georgia can't sustain, but just for perspective, Steve Spurrier was at Florida 12 years. And I think he won six or seven SEC titles in those 12 years, depending on whether or not you want to give him credit for 1990, which was forfeited because of the coach before him. Kirby's already been at Georgia seven. This is year eight. And Kirby's 47 and Kirby's making a lot more money than Steve Spurrier ever did. You know, he's knocking out what 11 grand, 11, 11 million a year, Mike, mm. not to say that he wouldn't want to coach another 20 years, but he doesn't have to. Right. And he doesn't, you know, will, will he coach another 10 years? I, I think 10 years, you know, when you look around and you see guys like Chris Peterson and Bob Stoops that, you know, stepped away, especially with the recruiting clock and the way Kirby burns. So I, I guess what I'm saying is this, I think Georgia is in a, a prime position um, relative to how other programs have been rolling, yes, I've, I've seen comparable times. I mean, Tennessee was fantastic under Philip Fulmer from, you know, the, the late 90s into the, you know, early 2000s. Uh, they, were, they, they, they didn't win back-to-back titles, but they, they could have easily won two or three. I mean, just imagine if there was a 14 playoff, what a difference that would have made. I mean, think about this. Georgia doesn't win the 2021 title if there's not a 14 playoff. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have been there. They they lost to Alabama in the SEC title game. That'd have been it. That's it. They wouldn't have gotten a do over. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have gotten a do over. So it, it's a it, it's a different game now than it was. You know, Spurrier didn't have second chances. Fulmer didn't have second chance. And I'm not saying that makes it any less. You could argue that it makes it more difficult because you got to play more games. But I'm just saying it's different now. It's apples and oranges. Um, but what Kirby's got going is the level of buy-in. He's got a fantastic staff. He's got continuity. And he is the modern day uh, master at roster management, and that is the that's the key. I mean, yes, you have to recruit well, but you also have to retain well. You know, we talk about all these Alabama recruiting classes we want, but how many of those guys are transferring out? Right. Same with Georgia. Georgia's had a lot of talented guys transfer out, not to the extent of Alabama. The continuity on the staff is important. The ability to generate NIL deals and maintain a locker room chemistry, even while players see what other guys on the team are driving and know that certain players are getting more money than others. Now, players were always getting money. Now, you know that Mike and I know that and fans have figured that out. Jimbo Fisher spilled the beans on that two years ago when he said that on, on the Paul Feinbaum show that there was NIL, you know, but we just didn't know it. Right. Didn't he say something to that effect? There was always NIL. It was just, 
we didn't know it. Mm-hmm. I think he said that. Something to that effect. And everybody went, wow, Jimbo wasn't lying. He was shooting from the hip. He's just telling you how it is. There's always been NIL, okay? We just, but, but the key was nobody talked about it. Right. And the, now, there were two reasons for that. One, it was a violation. And, you know, half the programs in the country could have, you know, probably gone down, <laughs> if not more. And, and, by the way, just as many in the Big Ten as the SEC, they like to pretend they're on a higher level. But it's just, that's not true. Same thing, Southwest Conference. Back All these schools got people paying. It's the nature of the beast. But one, it was illegal by NCAA rule. But two, it kept things good in the locker room. Because if you don't know what the guy next to you is making, it's a lot easier to maintain that staff harmony. Just like just like uh, where people that are listening to this podcast work. People don't talk about their salaries, right? Mm-hmm. The bosses just, you know, cheers, all don't talk about your salary. You know, if you're going to get a raise, don't. you know why they tell you that? Because they don't want chaos. They don't want people pissed off that somebody that they feel is doing the same job as them is making more money. That's why nobody talks about what they make. That's why it's not transparent. That's corporate. That's just, well, in football, college football now, these college players are dealing with some of the same complexities that professional sports deal with. You know, when one guy's making more money. And, Mike, it gets to the point where you wonder, does the coach feel pressured to play one player over another because he's paying more money for him? I can tell you firsthand in my experience, and I won't identify the school or the situation, but I've seen that happen at least three or four times where I thought there was a better player on the bench and the guy that was playing ahead of him was playing ahead of him because Billy Booster was paying him more money and the coach felt pressure to pay him. Otherwise, Billy Booster's going to stop buying players for him, right? Right. So all these things are now coming to the surface. And um, gosh, I don't know if you really wanted this philosophical discussion today or not. (laughs) Well, I appreciated it. Last thing on Georgia I got for you, Mike. You know, you've been very vocal about this, and I agree with you. But I think Kirby Smart is a better coach than Nick Saban right now. I'm not saying their their legacies, their their entire tenures, but right now, I, I mean, I don't even think it's a debate anymore given what Georgia's done the last two years. And, and I, I've i even seen Georgia fans argue, well, heck, Nick Saban has, you know, it's just not been the same without Kirby. I think he could easily make that case as well. Why is it that you believe Kirby is better than Nick Saban right now? Well, Mike, I can't think of another sport where a coach that's won the last two championships in a row isn't considered the best coach. And I, I covered Alabama. So I understand Alabama fans, I think, pretty well, mm-hmm. as much as anyone. And I'll start by saying I begin my SEC football Mount Rushmore with Paul Bear Bryant. And I was very, very, very fortunate to cover the Crimson Tide early in my career. I've, I've been fortunate the whole way, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I've, been, I've been blessed. Uh, my first year covering the SEC was 93. I covered an 11 and 0 Auburn team and got to know Terry Bowden and, and learn all about the Bowden legacy and Bowden family through that beat. And, and Auburn fans were, were fantastic. They, they're, it's a fantastic fan base. They're warm. They're engaging. They're welcoming. Um, certainly uh, their issues – that occur usually occur higher up in, in some of the higher politics that we won't get into. And then covering Alabama at a time um, when Gene Stallings was there and the way he saw my ambition, uh, the fact that I was that guy from Mobile that would drive up there twice a week and stay in a hotel up there, um, you know, five days a week. I think he saw that and appreciated that. And him and his staff really went out of their way, you know, Dabble Sweeney being one of them, 
to, to bring me into their offices, to sit me down, to, you know, explain how college football worked and why things were the way they were and, and uh, really take time for me. And it was incredible. And then to take the Tennessee job before the 1998 season, Mike, and, and cover the 98 Vols and get to know T. Martin really well. Um, me also being a Mobile native like T. We like to say we're from L.A., lower Alabama, <laughs> and still friends with T to this day. And, and get to, you know, Al Wilson and just the incredible stars that were recruited and, and build relationships with coaches on that staff. John Chavis, fantastic man, a great defensive mind. Um, so I, I've been... I've been really blessed along the way. I just, I want to just say that up front and I don't want to insult anybody. And I'm, I'm very careful about that. And Nick Saban with his six titles is he's, he's unbelievable. Right. But my Mount Rushmore starts with Paul bear Bryant. That said bears last two years, he was looking at this. Like he was eight and four. He was nine and two. And the year before that, he was 10-2. and two. Now, I think Paul Bear Bryant is the greatest coach of all time in college football. But if I look at his last three years, he was 10-2 and two and 9-2 and two and 8-4. and four. Was he the best coach in college football those three years? So I think that's kind of the conversation we're having here. I don't want to take away any of Saban's greatness, but I have to look at the results. I can't just, you know, just like kind of like John Calipari. I look at Cal and, and listen, I love Cal. I do. I love him as a, as a reporter because he's just fantastic theater. I think he knows basketball. I think he knows people. But do I think John Calipari is the best coach in college basketball right now? No. His salary says he is, but I, I don't think he is right now. I don't want to take away anything he's done before, but it's been, what, 10 years since he's won a title, something like that, Mike? So now, and, and that's an extreme case, but my point is, I think people are shortchanging Kirby smart if they don't give him credit for winning the last two championships. And as I said, being the master, uh, the modern day master of roster management. And to me, that is the key right now that we're in this huge transition with transfers and NIL roster management is more important. And, Ken, and Kirby's X's and O's are pretty doggone good too. Let's remember some of Nick's best teams were coordinated and built and recruited by Kirby Smart. I throw Jeremy Pruitt in there, by the way. Jeremy was the defensive coordinator uh, for a couple of those teams. I think he has Penn ranks number one and number two. And hopefully, we'll, you know, I think we'll soon see Jeremy back on the sideline based on, you know, what, what little I know about that hearing. But, you, you know, we'll, we'll find things out. That's, that's a whole other story for you for another day. But, um, yeah, I, I hope that makes the case without hurting anyone's feelings. Mm. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, Mike, I wanted to ask you real quick about Billy Napier at Florida. Do you think um, you know he just had six players drafted, including the number one, number four, excuse me, overall selection in the draft? Does that help his case, or does it hurt his case that he's uh, the right man for the job down there in Gainesville? You know, I don't know if there was a right man for the job. You know, the Gators, um, the Gators have kind of fallen behind on their facility. They're just now catching up. They got their new football building going. Um, but, but the recruiting, I think had dropped off some, I think, you know, that, that, you know, bears out when you, you mentioned the, the draft numbers, I, I think Billy Napier in, in a vacuum is a really good coach. I do. And I, I know I, I poke fun and, and, you know, I ridicule the question last year about who was better, Brian Kelly or Billy Napier. I thought that was a ridiculous question based on what Brian Kelly had accomplished. 
thought he, and speaking of coaches who get shortchanged and not respected enough, Brian Kelly in the SEC leads the list. Part of that's a little pompous, but that's okay. Hey, he's still a fantastic coach. You, you, you know, he can be as arrogant as he wants, you know, but he's a fantastic coach, and that's undeniable. Um, and, and Billy Napier is a good young coach, and he has a plan. But Florida requires more than just a good coach. Florida requires a program builder. And part of being a good program builder is being able to sell yourself well enough to get the proper funds and the proper support. I'll give you an example. Bruce Pearl. Probably the best program building basketball coach of the modern era. You look at what he did at Tennessee, Mike. And I know you followed it. But remember how Bruce got everybody to buy in? Even when Tennessee basketball was bad, he had 20,000 people in that arena in the third game. And they, nobody knew at that time that Bruce Pearl would reinvent Tennessee basketball and take them to their only Elite Eight in history. Nobody knew that was coming. Not with that cast of characters. I mean, he made you know Dane Bradshaw look like Bob Cousy out there. And, and Dane is still a fantastic player, by the way. Dane, and Chris Lofton was, was shooting like Steph Curry. It, it was just, it, but you didn't see that before Bruce. It didn't all come together before Bruce. And suddenly there was the Pratt Pavilion practice facility that just so happened to pop up because of Bruce, right? And then Bruce leaves for whatever, um, I don't know, uh, what kind of investigation we would call it, Keystone Cops and, you know, a compliance case, the way Tennessee fumbled that. And he goes to Auburn, and I'm thinking to myself, Bruce is going to kill himself down there because you can't win at Auburn. You cannot win at Auburn basketball. They don't care. They don't care, Mike. The only reason they care now is because they're winning. They really don't like basketball. But I'll be doggone if he doesn't build a program and take them to the Final Four. And it's not like this arena they built is anything. It's not. Their skyboxes are on the bottom. They face out and they're used for football. It's a crappy little arena. You can say it's a new arena, but it's a crappy new little arena, okay? But, but you think it's, you know, whatever, the greatest place ever, the way he, you know, those fans pack it out. and the He built a program, but he sold the program. Can Billy Napier sell Florida football? We're not talking about if Billy Napier can coach. We're not talking about if he can do the X's and the O's. We're not even talking about if he can change the culture. Can he sell Florida football well enough to get the financial means that he needs to be able to buy the kind of players that it's going to take to win in the SEC. And so far, the jury's out. When he beat Utah, that was big. But he had a couple losses that set him back. And now there's doubt. And so that means his runway isn't as long for success. What happens first, Mike? Does he get fired or does he have enough success to get that runway extended? This is going to be a pivotal year for Billy Napier. Yeah, and the schedule's not doing him any favors. So last thing for you, Mike, I really appreciate all your time. You got to pick one here. Wh- who would you rather buy stock in right now? Josh Heupel's Tennessee program or Shane Beamer's South Carolina program? Which one do you think had, uh, it could potentially go the furthest under the those coaches? Tennessee, um, and, and it's, not, it's not a knock on Beamer. It's more about the sleeping giant that Tennessee is. You know, Tennessee's got so much hunger and so many resources, and, and Josh is a fantastic coach, and, and he has that buy-in. You know, what we were just talking about, Tennessee fans are bought into Josh Heupel. The excitement is back in Neyland Stadium. The buzz is back. And Tennessee fans have been bitten enough times that they were kind of cautious about this. I don't know. 
feeling pretty good about Butch Jones, and then everything went sideways, right? Not going to fall for that one again. I'm done going to games. Well, guess what? Josh Heupel has created a product that is so exciting and tantalizing that Tennessee fans can't resist. And beating Alabama? Oh, my goodness. You, you want to have um, some evidence? That's it. You know, if only Florida could have gotten a win over Georgia or someone like that, but they didn't, not yet at least. Josh took down Alabama. The buy-in is back. The money is there. The corporate sponsors are there. Mike, you went there. You know what a giant Tennessee is in that state. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Tennessee Titans, they were thing for a minute. The Tennessee Vols own that state, and the money is pouring in. And that's what it is right now. It's a money game. So you've got a coach that can identify talent, who has an exciting offense, a product that everybody wants to see play, that kids want to play in, and you've got the financial media, even state, they're changing state laws up there for the NIL, for goodness sakes. (laughs) They are all in in Tennessee. South Carolina doesn't have that ceiling. Shane Beamer's a good coach. He's doing some good things, and that's nice. And I'm not, but it's, 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 it's a nice little program. But Tennessee is a giant. It's a Goliath. Steve Spurrier, who I believe during his era was as good as any coach he ever faced. You can look at the numbers and see who he beat. I think he he had a winning record against Nick Saban, for that matter. Um, In fact, one year I think he beat Clemson, Alabama, and Tennessee in the same. Something stupid like that in South Carolina. But we saw the ceiling with Spurrier. Spurrier got to one SEC. That was the ceiling, man. That's it. You had Lou Holtz. You had Steve Spurrier. You know, you, those two are the greatest coaches of our modern era. And, and, that, and Beamer has done a fantastic job. So I'm not – look, he's gotten them back to respectability. Eight, nine, ten wins, probably bypass Kentucky. And who knows about, you know, Psycho Missouri from year to year. I, I don't think Drickwitz is the answer. And, and Vanderbilt's going to Vanderbilt. We're just happy when they show up for games when they're supposed to, right? But I, I just don't think that they have the ceiling that Tennessee does. Tennessee has the ceiling to win championships. And woulda, coulda, shoulda, if not for the evil visored Spurrier getting in the way a couple of years, and if not for the tremendous job that Mark Rick did with David Green and David Pollock, and, and unfortunately Casey Clawson's injury one season. Tennessee, was, they've been there, right, they will be back. Their facilities plan has been masterful since the 1960s. You go up to the Tennessee campus, and I tell the people here at Georgia that, now, not, not football, okay, not football, because Kirby, you know, it's, it's Spaceship Kirby over there, believe me. It is, they're, they're not second. They're second to none when it comes to football facility. Nobody's getting in the way. There's no apologies. There's nothing else on the mind. It's all football all the time, all Kirby, everybody's ball. But for Georgia's other sports, like look at their baseball facility. You know what they say? Well, it's the Wrigley Field of the what – what does that mean? That it's the smallest and the worst, but you're going to call it the Wrigley to somehow make it more endearing? I mean, there's a reason why players don't want to go. They don't have the facilities. Look at Tennessee – and on the other hand, look at Tennessee baseball. Look what's, look what's coming down the tracks for Tennessee baseball and Tony V. Look at Tennessee basketball with Rick Barnes. You know, I, I mentioned Bruce Pearl and revitalizing the – pro. Rick Barnes every year. I mean, people are – you know – People are mad when Tennessee doesn't win the SEC in basketball. Look at the kind of players they're getting. You know, if a, you know, if one of their guys would have decided to play instead of you know being too hurt or whatever, they might have had a different result this year. You had Final Four talent, best defensive team of the modern era in college basketball. The pieces were there. You just had one guy go south on you and ruin the team chemistry. You know, look, look at te- you know. So it's across the board. Tennessee is so invested, and every time I go back to Knoxville and I got family there, as you know. 
it just feels like the town is just bursting at the seams. It's a fantastic time for Tennessee athletics because there's so much apprehension about what's about to happen. And that's the best feeling when you know you're on the brink of it. That, that's how I felt covering Tennessee basketball as a beat writer. Like be, even before Bruce got it done, I felt like I knew a secret. Bruce Pearl is going to surprise some people. Like I, you just knew it, right? And you just kind of feel like that about Tennessee, like they're coming. Now, can they conquer Kirby? Boy, I don't know. Kirby is one tough cat, Mike. All he thinks about is championships. And when I say they're bought in here, I mean take no prisoners bought in. I've never seen a program as bought in as Georgia football, ever, any of those programs. Alabama was close under Gene Stallings, very close. But the level of buy-in for Kirby Smart, I mean, these guys, uh, you know, these, these guys are on another level, like every one of them. And every, you know, I said to Kirby the other day, I said, you know, you don't open with a Clemson or an Oregon. Are you worried that there's not going to be a sense of urgency for the opener? He said, no. He said, these guys practice against the best team in college football every day. Wow. <laughs> he threw it down. He was right. Right? And they've got quarter. And listen, they've got not just, they got two quarterbacks. It's not just me. Oh, he covers George. He's a home. No, forget it. Take me out of the picture. I just did a story on the, on the, on the Las Vegas Heisman odds. I've never heard of a program having two quarterbacks in the top 20 of the Heisman odds. But they do. You go look it up. It's like, all right, well, whoever's at quarterback at Georgia, I guess, boom. I mean, I've never seen that. That's kind of ridiculous. We, neither one of these guys have even started a game. So it's not just me who, who has confidence in Georgia football and, and Mike Bobo. And why wouldn't you have confidence in Mike Bobo? I, I hear some things, Mike, and I'll, I'll say this. You didn't ask, but it, this is just something that I think is laughable. You hear, oh, well, you know, Mike Bobo, that, that's really going to hurt him. Is it? Is it really? Because when I look in the history books and I say, who is the SEC's winningest quarterback of all time? Do you know who that is, Mike? Off the top of your head, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. Probably Aaron Murray. No, he's the all-time leading passer, and Mike Bobo was his offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. What, what Connor All-time winningest quarterback at uh-huh. who? Connor Shaw? I don't know. You want to take another guess? <laughs> Connor Shaw, South Carolina. No, he's South Carolina's winningest quarterback. Winningest SEC quarterback of all time is David Green, mm. who was Mike Bobo's was his quarterback's coach. All-time leading passer in SEC history is Aaron Murray, um, Mike Bobo, offense coordinator, quarterback's coach. Richest number one draft pick ever. Hmm. Quarterback, Matthew Stafford, Mike Bobo, offensive coordinator. Highest scoring Georgia team in history. You know what year that was? You're already, you're, you're already onto the theme. 2012? 2014, Georgia. Oh, 14. Yeah, okay. Hunter Mason. Yeah, Hunter, yeah, yeah. So Hudson Mason was the quarterback for the highest scoring Georgia. Uh, Mike Bobo calling the plays in 2014 with a quarterback <laughs> you haven't heard of. So the guy is pretty proven when it comes to having talent around him. Now, the last few years, Auburn, South Carolina, you know, kind of, you know, let's face it, you know, he, he didn't have a very fast race car. He's back behind the wheel of a Ferrari. He's got a lot of talent, and he's got a really easy schedule the first half of the season. So, yeah, uh, bullish on Georgia, certainly through the first half of the season. And then we'll see what happens. I mean, Josh has got a little bit of a rebuild offensively on his hands. Yeah. I, don't, I don't expect them to be as good, you know, without him. Look, Hendon Hooker's a special guy. Mm-hmm. Special. You know, special receivers have moved on. There was a lot of six-year guys 
from that Butch Jones era that stuck it out and stuck around and kept that program going. And, and Pruitt recruited some good guys too. I think what, 17 or 18 of those guys were Jeremy Pruitt recruits. They're moving on. So he's got a little bit of a rebuild, but he's got resources. I think he's a really good coach. And like I said, the energy in that town is such that, that I do expect, you know, Tennessee to emerge as, as the number two team uh, in the SEC East this year. All right, Mike, I cannot thank you enough. That was outstanding. The audience is going to love it. Before you go, can you tell everybody where's the best place to find all your work? I appreciate that, Mike. You can find me on Twitter at MikeGriffith32. That's the best spot to find me or on our dognation.com website. Yeah, maybe they'll, we'll see you on the cruise next year, Mike, after the dogs win it again. <laughs> wow, you're, call, you're calling that? that? That's early for me. Too early for me to call that shot. All right, Shay. so how long before I can get you to sign up for that SEC podcast cruise? <laughs> I mean, they, they got it made over there at Dog Nation, don't they? Oh, my gosh, man. He's had a lot of barking, buddy. I bet there is. <laughs> could you imagine a, a damn tailgate out in the middle of the ocean with those guys? After bet, winning you know, two championships after oh. a 41-year drought. I mean, that's that's got to be the best time in the world right there. 